Hello everybody and welcome to the Ogma Bone Cement Podcast. My name is Amit and with us here today is Dr. Jonathan Ebenheim. Dr. Ebenheim was born in Montreal, Canada. He is the owner of Jonathan Dental Spa. He received his BA in Biology from Yeshiva University in New York and continued his graduate work at the University of Pennsylvania. He graduated with disciplines in endotonics, prosthetic dentistry, and pain management. In addition to graduating with honors, Dr. Ebenheim also received the E. Owl Smith Award in prosthetic dentistry. Always staying current and progressive, Dr. Ebenheim has continued his education with an advanced implant prosthetic prosthodontics residency at Nova Southeastern University and Atlantic Coast Dental Research Clinic in Palm Beach, Florida. From these schools, he gained expertise in implant dentistry and was awarded fellowship of and diplomat status in the International Congress of Oral Implantologists. He is a board certified in implant dentistry by the American Board of Oral Implantology. And also, he finds the time to instruct dental students at NYU in the Department of Implant Dentistry, helping students learn about complex surgical dental implants. He has founded the Smile Syllabus Training Institute, which internationally teaches other dentists on the latest and greatest in dentistry. Please welcome Dr. D- Jonathan Ebenheim. How are you today? Great, Amit. How are you? I'm doing fine. Very well. It's almost 7 p.m., but it looks very bright and sunny out there in uh, Jersey. Uh, I'm actually in New York now, but it's uh, 12 o'clock. It's beautiful. Breezy. I just got off the racetrack, so I am ready to rock and roll. Let's do this. Racetrack as in a driving race? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, when you do dentistry at a very high level mm-hmm. and you have to always be very focused, you have to find a way to be able to compartmentalize your brain to be able to say, whoa, I'm going to take everything out and just focus on exactly what I'm doing, whether it's a surgical procedure or prosthetic procedure. So I really work on training my brain to do that. And there's nothing better than the racetrack to do that. It focuses you to only worry about what's in front of you, not what's behind you, just what's in front of you, what the next turn is, what the RPM is, and then it allows you to focus. Because if one second you don't focus, you're off the track. I see. So it's not only about uh, taking the time off to alleviate the brain. Like, let's say somebody says, I'm going out to do some working out, to do uh, ex- some exercise, get uh, some sweat off. So it's more than that for you. Yeah, you know, uh, it's, always, it's always important to be able to take time for yourself and to be able to, uh, to release any uh, pressure that you have. But for me, it's always about training my brain to be, able to, opt- to be able to be optimized at the highest level. Because when you're doing surgery, when you're doing augmentation, when you're doing prosthetics, something will always come and hit you before you even know it. And if your brain is not trained to be able to make a split decision right then and there, you will fail. And uh, have you had any accidents or anything funny happened on the track or is just you out there on the race? Just me, just focus. And it's the only time where I'm able to, other than obviously on Saturday, I'm able to disconnect from the world and just focus with what's in front of me. Okay. And how does it go? You just rent a car or go in with your car, uh, open track? I I actually have a race. I have a race car that has my name on it and it's uh, custom with my seat and everything. My helmet, my suit, my shoes, and I'm ready to roll. Should we expect a transition from dentistry to racing? No, dentistry is my passion. It's just, uh, it's something I love to do, and I don't even consider it a job. And um, I feel sort of like, I don't want to say lucky, but I feel blessed Mm -hmm. to be able to do what I love every single day. Okay, so right now you said you're in New York. You just got off the racetrack, but uh, I know that uh, you're not originally, but uh, currently you reside in uh, Jersey. Yes, I live in New Jersey and New York. I live both. Depends on where I am. Okay, and originally you're from Canada. Yeah, Montreal, Canada. I uh, grew up there. Uh, My parents are immigrants. uh, They send me to school there. Then I went to college in New York, dental school in Pennsylvania. Then I made my way down to Florida to learn about implants and then back up to New Jersey to start my practice. Okay, and how did you end up in Jersey? How did you decide that that's the spot? Life, you know, uh, into no in 2007, when you needed a job, there was really not internet per se up there. I stay, it was something called the classifieds. I mm-hmm. opened the New York Times, uh, sorry, I opened the New York Times and I uh found a practice slash a job. I applied, happened to be that it was for sale, and right. it was a good fit, and I bought it. 
and I built so it. One, one thing led to another. Thank God. And uh, how did you come to become a dentist? Was it as an ambition, uh, something that happened along the way? Somebody recommended? Uh, my, my, my dad never graduated high school. He had to drop out to uh, feed his family. Uh, his father mm -hmm. died when he was very young. Uh, my mom happened to be an accountant. But I always knew I wanted to do something with people and something with my hands. Mm -hmm. And uh, dentistry just felt to be a good fit. Originally, I was going to be a computer science major. Uh, didn't do that. And then when I went to dental school, I was going to be a pediatric dentist. Didn't do that. Took a full 180 and mm -hmm. became uh, an implantologist. And I love what I do. I get to change people's lives, meet new people, uh, innovate every single day, uh, use new products, uh, develop new products. And every single day is a different day. It's, I mean, I, I feel really blessed to be able to do what I do. And how were those years in, uh, in school and uh, residency? Do you remember them in favor? I will tell you that it's, it's something that you could only do once in your life. That's for sure. Yeah. We say, <laughs> we say it about the military as well. We say you, you do your three years and, and you're done. You look back, you smile, but never again. <laughs> never again. Yeah. Absolutely. But it was a good yes. foundation to be able to, uh, it's, you know, it's all about uh, learning how to think. Um, I don't think dental school teaches you how to be a dentist. But if you go to a good dental school, it teaches you how to think and how to evaluate and how to extrapolate uh, new things. Because what I learned in 2001 to 2005 is completely different from what I do in 2020. Um, mm -hmm. Specifically, I mean, I would say maybe Ogma is uh, it's not a new concept. Um, no. It's just something that, uh, you know, sort of fell out of favor, probably because like anything in the world, marketing is what puts people in check. Obviously, science is what allows it to work. But you can right. have the best yes. science in the world, but you don't have the right marketing or the right product or the right packaging or the right people speaking about it, and nobody will ever know what it is. Yes, yes. There are uh, a lot of reasons that uh, combine and then the right time and the right setting that uh, all have to align almost like the stars in order for it to work. Absolutely. Uh, yes. So we're fortunate enough uh, that it does work. Now, how many years now you're in practice? You said you're 2005, so it's been almost 15, 15. years now. Yeah, I can't believe it. I still think I'm 21, but... We all do. <laughs> I, I, I'm closer, I guess, because I'm uh, almost in my 30s, but uh, yeah, I still feel the same. Now, you said, you said that uh, everything changed from 2005 to 2020. Do you feel that uh, for graduates who, let's say, listen to us right now, uh, what they learn is also in, in ways uh, obsolete uh, To what they will actually practice in a couple of years? I think that um, one, of the big, one of the biggest mistakes I made as a, a dental student, uh, and I sort of had to check myself back in, and I see it when I see dental students, when I see the questions that they ask, when I see the path that they want to do, is that they want to run before they ever walked. And they said, well, what if I need to, why do I need to walk if I knew if I can just run right away? Mm -hmm. And what I say to them is that Sometimes there's a lot of rocks on the floor and sometimes there's a lot of bumps on the floor. And if you run, you will fall and you will mm -hmm. break your face. That's why it's very important to know how to walk. And dental school is walking and okay. residency is walking. The first couple of years in practice is walking. What happens is in dental school, you do a treatment on Monday, you finish it on Monday night and you think you're the king of the world. Because you'll never know if it makes it or if it, or if it doesn't make it. You think that everything that you do because... Your instructor checked you off. It's going to work. But I always tell people... You don't get to follow up? Well, you graduated dental school. How would you know? Mm, I see. So there is no... So, so in practice, it's very important to be humble when you start. It's very easy when you go out and practice and you think you just graduated the best dental school in the world and you had the best teachers and you had the best grades and the most accolades and the most honors. And you will go and tell somebody who's maybe 10, 15, 20 years out of practice and you look at their work and you say... Mm, this was horrible. You shouldn't have done this and you shouldn't have done that. When little did you know, maybe the patient never opened their mouth. Maybe the patient mm. moved. Maybe the patient didn't want to do the treatment. You have no idea. You can never judge in one moment in time. So I tell people, be humble for five years. Be humble Before. for five years and, and, be, and look at your work. And look at your work from day one to day five. If it looks the same on, on year five that it does on day one, Then you could hold your head up high and continue that treatment. Until then, stay humble, stay quiet. 
learn what you did in dental school and absorb, absorb the experience of others, absorb what they teach you, use that as your foundation to learn how to walk. And then you'll start to jog, then you'll start to run, and then you're off to the races. Nobody will ever tell you you have to walk again, but you'll be able to run and you'll never, nobody will ever stop you, but you have to walk first. Hmm. So you, you feel that uh, a lot of the young uh, clinicians who are in the first steps in the, the real world, Uh, you feel that they want to run ahead of their time, maybe uh, open a practice before they actually got to uh, be in the ditches, in the trenches, and uh, do the, the real work? Uh, is, that, is that the issue? I would say that I don't have a problem you buying a practice right away. I don't have a problem mm -hmm. you learning. But what, what's important is, is that people say, let's talk about bone grafting, because this is an Agma bone uh, sure. uh, yeah. podcast. And they will say to me, I want to use Agma. I said to them, okay, why do you want to use Agma? Well, I see the cases that you post and they're spectacular and I want to use the product. So I say to them, okay, do you know how to lift a flap? Do you know what a periosteal releasing incision is? Do you know what tension and no tension is? Do you know what sutures to use? Do you know what sutures not to use? Do you understand when you could use Agma and when you can't use Agma? Do you understand what, the, what a lateral ridge augmentation or a ver vertical ridge augmentation? Do you understand when to place the bone, how to place the bone, in what situation, in what position of the mouth? Do you understand the tissue, how it acts? And they look at me like, <laughs> and I'm not trying to make it look hard, but I always tell people, you want to do augmentations? Take out teeth. Take out teeth and then take out teeth and do, do a bunch of grafting. Take Agma, smash it in the, in the suture, in the, in the socket, and call it a day. And then when a tooth is actually broken, learn how to flip the flap. Learn how to close it. Then do that stuff. Then you want to do implants? Okay, do you know how to do augmentations? Do augmentations, know what every bone graft does, know what a membrane is, know when to use a membrane, when not to use a membrane, and then start doing single implants, doubles, triples, maybe quadrants. Then maybe you can do an overdenture then you can maybe do a full arch. They want to do the full arch right away because that's what they want to do. It costs, it's the most money. But in mm -hmm. reality, I've seen it where it costs you money to do the treatment. Nobody wants to do treatment for, for free or cost them money. So I always say walk slowly. And I think Augma in terms of like the way the product works, the way that it's packaged, the way the education is set up is great for somebody to start. You want to do surgery? Start taking out a lot of teeth. The product is not very expensive. You don't need a membrane. You know, we can teach you how to suture. You can use, when you can get primary closure, we'll show you how to buy something that just closes on top, a little piece of collagen. You'll learn how to suture, how to do interrupted sutures, how to do continuous sutures, just to get to learn. And then slowly you'll get. And what happens if it doesn't work, even if all the bone is there? You don't necessarily need the graft, but at least you'll be practicing. You'll be able to get to where you need to be. And I always tell people, this is how you have to have your moral compass. Look at the patient. And if you think you're the best at being able to do this, do the treatment. If you're mm. not the best, then maybe charge a little bit less to learn and tell your patient you're learning and maybe charge them just for what the graft costs and make the money on the extraction. But be mm. honest with yourself because in reality, it's not about how good you are, but how honest you are and how you talk to your patients like people. And don't tell the patient, and say, we're going to do an augmentation. And you thought, well, we're only going to use half a cc of Agma. And next thing you know, you're using three cc's of Agma. And take the patient, lift them up and say, I'm sorry, I have to charge you for three more syringes. It's your problem. You should have realized that before. And that's your lack of experience. And you're going to have to pay for that. Yeah. So it's really about, so in terms of the young dentist, I would say to them, the world, the world of dentistry is the brightest that's ever been. And uh, it your success will come. I'm not saying that you need to suffer, but you need to be honest. You need to take the steps that need to take you to be the best. Don't jump. Don't jump. You could be very, very talented, and that's okay. It doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. But if you're talented in something, do it. But remember, mm -hmm. five years is everything. It takes you five years to make money. It takes five years to know if you're actually good. It takes five years to know if your work actually lasts. So remember that. So not 15 altogether, but just five years. <laughs> five years. And five that years is a really enough. long time. It's a it long is. time, but, yes. but be humble for the first, first five years and they'll fly. And then after that, you'll, you'll, you'll see your, your career skyrocket. Yeah, I think it's enough time to get an idea of where you're standing and whether you should continue developing or maybe think otherwise, you know, take it somewhere else. Now, it sounds to me that there is a lot of uh, insights that uh, 
you collected. Now, was there somebody involved as a mentor for you that when you stepped out or is just uh, your own self uh, way of looking into things and researching and, and really thinking it through uh, to understand thoroughly how to, to approach a patient as you described it or how to understand uh, the value of your work? Um, I would say that uh, in dentistry, there's two portions of dentistry that makes you successful. There's the clinical portion and there's the management portion. And I say that 10% of your success, uh, I say it in my lectures all that 15% of your success is based on your technical skill. 85% of your success is how you relate to others. So I would say that 85% of my success really was connected to the people that I attached myself to in terms of learning about people, learning about how the brain works um, from mm -hmm. consultants that I spoke to, from books that I read, from uh, self-motivation, from really uh, not allowing you to um, block yourself. Um, one of the amazing books I read was called Blink. It's all about first impressions. The way that you're going to, the person is going to, in six seconds, the person already knows if they're going to choose you as a doctor or not. Um, I read about the seven habits of highly effective people. Begin yes. with the end in mind. Um, that also impacted me tremendously. Uh, clinically, I would say that between my residencies and my dental school professors, that taught me a lot. It taught me how to think. But as you know, my Excel implant process is sort of unique in the world of digital dentistry and dentistry and implant dentistry in itself. It will, it is revolutionizing the way that people look at doing implants today. And uh, a lot of people are just still holding back from it. And the people that have actually embraced my process are uh, reaping the benefits, not only because they're helping their patients, but more importantly, they're doing it more efficiently, more prof profitably, and having more fun doing it. So what I did was I looked at what everybody else was doing, and I said how it was completely wrong, and I created my process really on my own. There was nothing for me to read. There was nothing for me to learn. I just sat in my laboratory, and I tested it over and over and over, and I spent hundreds and hundreds of hours just Till I finally got it. And now it's just a piece of cake. It's almost like a video game per se that I know the ending. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, that's really it. I would say in the beginning, 85% of your success, you know, look outside of dentistry. You don't have to look inside of dentistry for help. You, there's a lot of people out there. Tony Robbins um, Definitely. out there really teaches you about being your best self and not allowing uh, the art of not giving a F-U-C-K. That's an amazing, amazing book. Um, 10X is a great book. Um, just reading about it. And uh, if you can't read, listen to it. Um, or you read my book, Trust Factor, which has everything in it. <laughs> and that's what I was just about to ask. You've written uh, the book, The Trust Factor, empowering your team, your patients, and your dental practice. Now, from the title and uh, from everything you described just now, it sounds that you focus more on the mental, even uh, maybe philosophical uh, aspects of how to approach the everyday of a working clinician uh, and, and in order to build a successful clinic. Uh, can you share a little bit about the process of how did you decide to write a book, what it took, and, and uh, so, what, so, yeah, please. So, if you, so for me, like nonverbal communication is huge. You can see that even if you look at the video right now, you can see that my, my, my body language is I'm very engaged. I'm very mm -hmm. ready to listen to you. And so are you. I'm not sitting like this, just relaxing, just being nonchalant about things. So even just from the setup for a consultation, when you speak to a patient, just for the, in terms of the patient, um, the way that they're listening, if you're talking to them and they have their arms crossed, they're not processing anything you say. Mm -hmm. If you're talking to the patient and they're not looking at you in the eyes, they're not processing anything that you're saying. So you might as well just stop talking. And what happens is a lot of dentists feel that they need to speak. You really don't have to speak at all. It's like poker. Don't mm. speak. Just so, listen and, okay. and, and see. And then when you're able to see what the patient, it's all about understanding what is blocking the patient from really going forward. Because they made the phone call. They made the phone call about showing up. The question is, is that what's blocking them from the second they came to, their, to your practice to the time where they have to be in your chair? And everybody's different. Sometimes it's fear. Sometimes it's time. Sometimes it's money. Sometimes it's a combination of all three. And dentists usually like to use the excuse of money. And it's almost never about the money. Never. Almost never about the money. Really? Most of the, okay. most of the time it's the fear. 
most mm-hmm. of the time it's the fear of the unknown because mm. they have no idea what you're going to do for them. You can talk and talk and talk and talk and talk, but it's all BS till you actually do it. So yes. you have to find a way to do what? To increase their trust. I read an amazing book. Another book is um, The Wolf of Wall Street. He says that nobody wants to do business with their friends, but everybody wants to do business with their friends. <laughs> that's, that, that's because true. you only think of myself. That's true. <laughs> you don't want to be with someone that you don't trust. I would never do business if I don't trust you. If I didn't think that Agma worked in the first off, if I didn't t- trust Dr. Dr. Yahav with his research and the way that he showed me his cases, I, I would have never taken the leap, right? Mm-hmm. But he came in, he's extremely humble, he's extremely passionate, and he has no reason to, to do it. He just, because this is his life's work. He said, I gave up everything. I gave 100%. up my house, I gave up my practice, I gave up everything because I knew that this is going to work. How can mm-hmm. you not try on something like that? So the same thing with your patients. When they see if you have passion in what you do and you're not there because you're trying to make a buck, but you're really there because you're really trying to help them, you get into their psychology to understanding to building the trust. And I talk about a lot mm-hmm. of different ways to build the trust and your team is really part of it. So um, now that's all in the book, it, right? Every, yeah, everything is in the book and, and more obviously, but nonverbal communication is everything. Mm-hmm. is everything specifically today and especially today when they wear a mask you can't even see their face anymore so really looking at the way they sit the way they come in who they come in with the words that they use um it's, it's extremely important people say to me how do you have all these cases and i say to them you also have the cases the difference is that you're not listening it's i listen ahead yeah so where, people where need the, the work the difficulties lay i mean when the patients do come in they give you let's say hard time i'm sure there are areas that uh, you have to think outside the box uh, in order to get uh, so did you ever i I don't think in israel they have this but in america they have something called black friday the concept of black friday is um by thanksgiving uh things are slashed to be very cheap and tvs electronics whatever and Mm -hmm. people gear up to go shopping on black friday because they believe that there's only going to be 50 TVs at a thousand checkout. Yeah. <laughs> right. Or 200, $200, right? Yep. $300, whatever it is. So people will line up and they will say, I need this TV because there's so much hype around the cost of this TV that I will be there. Little do they know if they actually looked on Amazon or anywhere else, it's probably maybe just $10 more. Mm. Right. But the mm-hmm. average consumer would go ahead and line up and they'll wait on the Apple store because the new iPhone is coming out, yet they could have pre-ordered it and had it before. Right? Most, Ameri- most, most consumers are not like that. So what happens for me, there was a big shift in my practice when I was ready to say no. To say, you may not be the right fit for my office. And if you tell me the word, the big three-letter word, S-U-E, I'm going to mm-hmm. sue. It's just a big red flag. And we just say to patients, this may not be the right fit for you. And when we discuss it, we, don't, we have sort of an um, a aura of we're blessed to be able to treat you, but you're also blessed to be a patient in this practice. And not everybody gets to be a patient in our practice. We have to select you just like you have to select us. Mm-hmm. So what it creates is it creates scarcity. It yes. creates a supply and demand. And they say, whoa. You turn it around. What do you mean? What do you mean he's not going to take me as a, as a patient? And it's not a lie. It's true. If I don't feel that I can help you, if I don't think that you agree with my treatment plan and you're going to micromanage every little thing, you may not be the right uh, patient for me. If someone's going to buy Agma and constantly argue and say it doesn't work and osseoconductivity does not work only osseoinductivity works and you actually need particulate and you actually need a membrane and you actually need to have no tension and they don't want to hear and they don't want to hear maybe they're just not the right doctor for that product and that's that's okay that's exactly i think what we now understand very very well in the past two years uh you described it perfect because some people 
they don't really want to listen or uh, understand. They just want to to speak out on their mind. But um, and I will I, tell I, you, Amit, they do the exact same thing with their patients, with their no. life. You're mm-hmm. buying a product, whether you're buying bone, whether you're buying a bicycle, whether you're buying a car, whether you're buying a Coke. It's all the same mentality. So the way that they act when they purchase, they act the same way in their relationships. They act their same way in their lives. So sometimes you don't have to be friends with everyone. You don't have to be everyone's distributor. You don't have to be everyone's doctor. So for me, that was a big shift to be able to really show my patients that I care for them. And I would do this exact same thing for you as I would do for my family. And once you have the ability to convey that in a truthful way, and if you don't believe it, if your team doesn't believe it, your patients will know. That's it's true. not that I don't want you to get us wrong that we, we turn people away. We don't turn people away, but we're very selective about how we dis- the words that we use. We're very intentional about the words that we use. Uh, uh, patients will very much try and tell doctors, oh, the other guy messed up, right? And we're mm. very careful and almost never say that um, because we weren't there and we don't want to get into that vortex. So it's really being about intentional about how you control the conversation. I, I like the way you approach it because first of all, it sounds that you set the expectations right. You show that whether it's the patient or the coworker or whoever is around you uh, that you're competent and not just because you're saying it, it's because you know it. In terms of the everyday work that you do, uh, you basically have an A to Z lab in-house In those, all those areas that uh, you work on, do you have the time to learn more, to excel, to process, to understand what's the latest and how, how to uh, keep uh, being on top of everything? Because there is so much going on in your life. Um, that's a great question. Um, I could say to you that I'm always, whenever I look at something in my practice that I do, whether it's surgery, whether it's prosthetics, whether it's lab work, And I look at things that I don't think are optimized. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by optimized is if I do a bone graft and I need to put particulate bone and it's flying all over the place, I don't like that. I need mm-hmm. to figure out a way to do it to make it better. So I go and I research. I did a, a massive graft the other day um, where the patient had a failed implant and he had a huge defect. And we placed the implant. But luckily, there was bone on one side and bone on the other side because of adjacent teeth. And I said, I, know, I need to put a huge graft. What am I going to do? Well, I know I need a graft for this part, but I need an also another graft for this part. So we're able to combine not only particulate graft, but also augma graft on top of it. So an augma kept everything in place. It acted not only as a bone graft, but also as a membrane. And that was sort of a solution for me in terms of that particular situation. Um, my, my Excel and prime process is so, um, is so advanced in terms of the, what we use in technology and techniques and treatment planning that I think we're about five to 10 years ahead before somebody actually catches us to be able to do something better. Sounds so like Tesla beyond Tesla, it's um, on the Tesla, it's more like a Porsche Taycan where you actually have an electric car and a sports car all in one, um, one. But beyond what I'm saying is that in terms of the way that we put everything together and how every single time we do the process, it's like a calculator, one plus one equals two, it's going to be very hard for people to catch up. And it's not because they can do it. It's because their mind blocks them from doing it. It's the same reason that before people catch up to Agma, it's going to take them a very long time because their mind just can't wrap their head around a very simple process, maintaining space. That's it. It's nothing more than that. Just maintain space. Find a good way to package it, find a good way to do, deliver it, and find honest people to sell it. So in terms of the Excel process, it's like learning new things. I open, I, open a, I open a magazine and I just see how things are just so far behind. Everything is behind. And I would say that um, in, the, in the field of implant dentistry, people are just copying each other and redoing the same thing. Nothing's really changed. Maybe you know, ceramic implants are sort of like a big thing that changed. Right. Um, in terms of augmentation, I would say augma is at the, at the, between augma and PRF. Those are the two at the top of uh, uh, what I would say um, market disturbance. 
mm-hmm. right? Those are the two at the head of it. In terms of prosthetics, we mill in-house when we're sleeping, we center in-house, and we paint in-house with Mio. And I believe that Mio, uh, the coloring of zirconia, is again at the height of uh, yes. everything. Everybody's trying to just copy Mio to catch up. So um, in terms of also the, the parts that we use on top of implants, we've designed parts where before screws used to get stripped, they don't strip anymore. We redesign that. So in terms of learning new things, I think it's going to be to 10 years before somebody actually catches up. By then, we'll already be on to the next thing. I'm actually developing something right now with, uh, with a co-partner um, who's a genius also about how we're going to redesign how prosthetics are now attached to implants to get rid of a lot of the issues that we have. Um, so that's what I'm working on right now um, because like I would say elaborate? that's one of the issues. Uh, or it's still uh, too yet. early. Not yet, I see. Now, too, how, how do how you yet. come up with the, those, the, the Excel method? How, how did you build this I, process? I basically looked at everything that was wrong and I found a solution for it. Actually, one quite simple. Time. Like, one step at a time. Why the, why every time we plant, and we start everything with teeth. Why when we plant teeth, they were never in the middle of the face. Why were they always too big? Why were they always too small? So we fixed that. Why is it that when we placed implants, we didn't know where we were going? We just did it. Why is it that when we did augmentation, we had to wait so long? Why is it that when we restored teeth, uh, we had to charge the patient so much money because the lab bill was so high? How do we fix that? Um, why is it that when we got things back from the lab, we didn't like the way they looked? We fixed that. Why is it that we waited so long for implants to osteointegrate when today we don't have to wait as long? We fixed that. Um, why is it that when we present treatment to patients, they say no? We fix that. Hmm. So a lot of it, it's, it's everything is all connected. It's all connected. Sure. So uh, like uh, I think that um, uh, um, Paul Vigario, he's the founder of Surf CT. He has the, I love his saying. It says, everything is connected. And it's true. He uses it from a computer standpoint. But in clinical dentistry, it's connected everything. to the management of everything. Everything is connected. Where do you see the industry going? Because you said that uh, whatever happens in the next five, ten years, you're going to be ahead. But and on the other side, you said that uh, a lot of the, the companies out there don't do much, but rather try to copy and, and give it another name. And, and I think uh, marketing. For, so yeah. So for those of you that, uh, especially you and other people that may be listening to this that heard me speak in, in Tel Aviv last year, I sort of, um, I introduced the concept that um, people are very, very stuck on what we call minimally invasive. Mm-hmm. And I really that believe that being minimally invasive is over. And I think that the, I think I know that the new way that the industry is going is called being minimally disruptive. Okay. Stop bugging your patient. And the procedures that you're doing should be minimally disruptive to the patient's life. And that doesn't mean making a smaller flap. That doesn't mean placing a smaller implant. It doesn't mean, um, you know, uh, placing smaller teeth or costing less money or taking shortcuts. It's about being minimally disruptive in the things that, that take a lot of time, that take a lot of pain, uh, that take a lot of people to take off from their daily life. And when industries have the ability to create products, create processes that don't disturb the patient's life, that's when you win. Agma is a perfect example. It's a perfect example of minimally disruptive dentistry. Excel implant process is minimally disruptive dentistry. And um, So you're taking it for the overall, not just for the practical, uh, physical uh, invasiveness of the procedure. Yeah, just dis- you cannot disrupt the patient. Being coming to the office for 42 different appointments to just do one simple procedure is no longer acceptable because people just don't want it. And if you're still doing that, they will go somewhere else. If you're still going to the hip, if you're still going to the, to the ramus and you're not looking at alternative procedures, alternative grafting, alternative ways to place implants, alternative ways to do dentistry, your patient will seek someone else. And if you're a young dentist looking at this, grab that. 
figure out a way for you to be different than everybody else. Because if you're just going to do what everyone else does, you know how you're going to win by just lowering your price. And it's called race to the bottom. So mm. if you figure out a way to be different than everybody else, money will no longer matter. And that's why I said to you, money is not the issue. Because the patients that come to our practice, they want it. They just need to figure out a way to pay for it. We have to help them, right? Figuring out the right price, figuring out the, the right timing, figuring out the right um, way that we do the treatment for them. Because time is everything. You can't buy sure. time. So be minimally disruptive. That's why I believe the industry must go. Mm. Now, now, today, uh, as I understand it, the requirement is not just proper function. Uh, the aesthetic is also important. So how are you overcome those challenges when you say that you want to probably do it in one or two, maybe three meetings uh, as less as possible? And Yeah, so the key that we've always tried to do um, and it's not new to dentistry, was we had to figure out a way to clone the patient so that we could work on the patient without them being there. And that was essentially an articulator and a facebow. That's okay. what we had. We took an impression, we took a facebow, we had our articulator, and we may believe that was the patient. Mm -hmm. But we missed the most important thing, the brain, the eyes, the nose, the lips, the musculature, all of that we forgot about. So we, we used to make teeth that fit great on the model, that look great on the model, and then you put them into the patient's mouth and they looked horrible. And it's the same thing I always say, it's the same thing as, an art, as a piece of art. You can have a gorgeous piece of art, but if you have the wrong frame, who cares? And vice versa, you could have a gorgeous frame, but an ugly picture, no one's gonna wanna put it on their wall. So what we had the ability to do is we use technology to really clone our patients whether it's with CT scans, whether it's with facial scanners, whether it's with planning software. We have come so close to actually having the patient in our hands without the patient even being there. So we use algorithms, we use artificial intelligence to be able to calculate everything so that it becomes a calculator. One plus one always equals two. An articulator on a Facebook never equaled one plus one equals two. It just okay. didn't because we worked on averages. And even mythologists that went ahead and uh, programmed their articulators, not a semi-adjustable, semi but a fully adjustable articulator, still it was wrong. Because as we learned from my friend Javier Vasquez, who told me, the mandible is not a hinge. It doesn't work on a hinge. No. And everything is connected. When you use facially driven treatment planning, you're able to do so much more without the patient even being there. So you're pushing very hard the digital dentistry. You're, you're uh, the, amb the ambassador. I, I appreciate that, that um, I would say that, that title. But really what I'm trying to do is, although um, dentistry is an art and a science, we have to talk about what does that mean, art and a science. A science means one plus one equals two. Every time I do the experiment, if I follow the exact recipe, I put this much chemical, this much chemical, I'm going to have the final result, right? Mm -hmm. But an art, if I ask you to go ahead and take a picture of me and draw me, if you draw me on Monday and you draw me on Tuesday, it will never look the same. And that's what happened in dentistry. It happened in dentistry. The part of art in dentistry, sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. And it frustrated our practitioners because they used to say, well, I read this article and the Italians, they go ahead and they sprinkle a little bit of a, a little, of a, <laughs> For a sure, little yes. bit of a, a particulate and they got 37 millimeters of bone. The Americans try and do that and they lose 37 millimeters of bone. I don't understand. Overseas, so what I tried always to, works. <laughs> always works. Um, so what I tried to do when I created my process was not to take the artistic area out of dentistry but take the uncertainty of art out of dentistry and make it more scientifically based to say, this has to work because I typed one plus one. It has to say two. And with art, sometimes you don't type one plus one. You put one plus 1.1 and it will say 2.1, but you expect it to say two. So that's why I love digital dentistry because it allows me to create it more to be, sci to be science driven. And when it's science driven, you're more likely to have the result that you always expect. Now, there's always the variability that you can never get rid of, which is the patient, right? 
what do they do once they leave? But, you know, that's just the well, name of the God game. Only God knows. Only God knows. So that's why with our process, we create even more sort of like a GPS tracker that we put into the patient to be like, hey, I know you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. And, 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 and when they, they, say, they welcome it, I, I presume. I would say GPS tracker, quote unquote, where we put specific mm -hmm. checkpoints into the patient that if they don't do this, this is what will happen and we will know the result. And it's very, very elementary, not that I'm tracking them, but per se, I will know that what they did was correct or what I know that they did was not correct. Mm -hmm. And in the past, we weren't able to do that because of the way that things were set up. Um, so that's why I, my goal was in terms of doing, bringing digital dentistry to the forefront. Um, and, you know, Sarek has been out for 30 years. It's not like I invented digital dentistry. I think that what I've done is I've done, I've taken implant dentistry, a surgical restorative and the, the technician aspect, and that's put it all together with all the software and all the technology and made everybody talk to each other. And that allowed us to get to where we wanted to be. And, you know, uh, again, I have to mention it because this is an Agma podcast, but Agma has played a huge role in it because there's a lot of cases that I could not have done before in the time that I've done it in the minimally disruptiveness that I've always strived for without that product. It's just another tool in my tool belt. I don't use Agma for everything, but I use it for a lot of things that I couldn't have used before. And I just think that people should never look for one, uh, a silver bullet. The silver bullet is one thing for everything because then everything, all you have is a hammer and everything looks like a nail. It just doesn't work that way. Agma is just another tool for you to allow you to do things that you weren't able to do before. You run a course uh, about three or four times a year. Uh, now that with the Corona, I really still have, uh, have one planned for this year or maybe yeah. next year. So what I, uh, for the first time ever um, during Corona, I was very reluctant, but I actually placed my course online. And uh, people really wanted to get the knowledge and they just, they didn't have the ability to travel. And even more so today, you know, New Jersey, New York is, you know, in the green in terms of everything in the country. And anyone who comes from a 35 states out of the United States, which is almost every other state, every state besides Wyoming, um, Colorado, Oregon, uh, and, you know, the clean states on the, on the East Coast, mm -hmm. they all have to quarantine. So in terms of getting people to, to quarantine and, and go away from their practice, we're not just the two days that we give our course, but more importantly, for two weeks after, really put a, a block on us. And, and that's totally okay. So I put the course online. And then from the course, we now have residency. So a residency where people will come for a full week and they will learn every single step hands-on. They will see it live. They will learn how to bake, um, how to uh, put porcelain on teeth, how to finish composite restorations in terms of temporary or full arch. They will learn how to mill. They will learn to see how our process, how we do surgery, how we do treatment planning, how we restore so the case. one-on-one? One-on-one. Mm -hmm. And they spend so the week with, with me. In the clinic? learning everything everything in one week they go off and they're off to the races and and which part do you like the most when in, in terms of uh, procedure that you do wh whether it's the when the patient says yes or whether it's the procedure itself or afterwards uh, uh, milling or uh, the final results i it's oh my god that's like asking me to pick uh, sprinkles or or caramel or whipped cream. I want all of it on my ice cream. I see. Um, I, see. I really, every single part is just so spectacular from the beginning of getting them to say, to move forward, to treatment planning the case, to actually doing the surgical procedure, to seeing their post-op, to seeing them uh, when we actually take the digital impression, to delivering the case, to seeing them two weeks later, and more importantly, seeing them a year, two years, three years after how they've changed their life and you had a portion in it is unbelievable i mean it's it's a gift it's really a gift to be part of that all the people allow you to be part of their lives is it's amazing. tremendous yes and uh sometimes i think that they don't even know how much it, it's going to affect them until they, they go back to their life uh, with what yeah what i mean done. it's amazing to the point where i would say that my smile syllabus institute is sort of selfish in a point that i knew that i could only treat x amount of people with my process i just have 10 fingers so my goal was i'm going to go ahead and teach this internationally and then every time a patient gets my process done not by me 
but by one of my students, it's as if I have my hand in it and I'm allowed, my legacy allows me to treat even more people without even being there with the knowledge that I've imparted on other people. So for me, that's just like, it's my life mission to be able to be able to do that. And thank God uh, I, I have the ability to do that. Amen to that. Now, last year you mentioned uh, that you came to Israel to speak at our uh, first international symposium. How was that experience for you? Oh my God, it was, it was, I would say maybe a dream come true. I've been everywhere in the world, but right. to stand in front of 500 people in one of the best run conferences I've ever been at with, you know, I would say that I'm having, I have chills right now just talking about it. <laughs> um, you know, an Ogma clinician is not a traditional clinician that you would see in the traditional podiums. An Ogma clinician is a person with such an open mind. You know, if you remember, I said the mind is like a parachute. It only works with the mind open. And mm -hmm. the people that you heard speak, the people that I met there, first of all, they're at the top of their game in terms of the way that they practice. But it, you would, it's not that you would never know, but their humbleness, their ability to learn, no matter how great they are, and their ability, their, their wanting to share, it was something to see. Forget the content. But just to see these people in front of 500 people traveling halfway across the world, to just be there standing in front of their colleagues to just share, just because, I mean, come on, what more do you want? It's the epitome yes. of dentistry. It's the best. Yes. We, so I loved it. We, so thank you for that opportunity. Yeah, I, th I think uh, we, first of all, got a lot of feedback from everybody who participated and said that uh, they enjoyed and they learned a lot but uh, being more specific we had so many doctors who were just blown away for you what, what are your plans for the coming years how do you see that uh, the transition now with the, everything maybe with the zoom and corona and then also that everybody is now more receptive uh, for change as well in some degree I think that um, for us as dentists it actually, people may think that it worked against us, but I think that people finally, patients, finally understood what real medical care is. They understood that there's no more Mickey Mouse games. I now need to choose the best medical care for myself. And I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't know what's going to happen in a week, but I better make sure that I get the best for myself. And if I can't afford it now, I'm not going to go and get it cheaper done. I'm going to go and wait to save up to get it done correctly. It really educated people about medicine. It created a little bit more of respect for the healthcare worker. Um, I think that's great. In terms of my children, I think they're the ones that are getting the short end of the stick in terms of the way their education is going. I'm a little bit nervous in terms of the way dental students are going because uh, you just can't learn on Zoom. You can't learn on Zoom like you're learning in person, especially when you're a child. And staring at a screen for a child is it's really detrimental uh, to them. So um, I hope that, you know, the cure comes, comes soon and the fear goes away quicker. And uh, we stick together and we'll make it through. We have to, you know. Um, I have a Muna that I will. But um, mm -hmm. for sure, uh, things are changed. And we, it's, again, it's just another, you know, I, I bought my practice in 2007. And in 2008, everything crashed. People ran out of money. But I never gave up. We always grew because you need to adapt and you need to understand and you need to help people. And, um, and you just have to keep your vision. You know, people say to me, well, how do you know what you were going to do? I said, if you're just starting your practice, take a piece of paper, write down your vision and keep it in your pocket. And every morning, read it out loud till you know it by heart and you know that that's your goal. And that's what you're going to do. And that's what you're going to get. You get what you manifest. Another amazing book called The Secret. You get yeah. what, you went, what you manifest. I believe that the way you think, the way you perceive things, uh, is, is the way you communicate with the world, whether you like it or not. So if you change those mantras that you tell yourself every day, the way you wake up, uh, then over time, it uh, sticks. It's like seed, basically. Now, uh, are there any goals left? Because you already uh, are a car racer. You already came to Israel to <laughs> lecture. Uh, you have your smile syllabus and you have a, 
I know an amazing family, four kids. Is that correct? So yeah. any other uh, future uh, uh, goals or picks to reach? Just live life to the fullest. Enjoy what God has given me and uh, just keep giving out, contributing every single day. You know, uh, I'll, I'll sort of end with this. People say they only they want their kids to be happy. Oh, I just want my kids to be happy. And essentially what you're doing is you're teaching your children to be selfish. Because mm -hmm. if you tell them, just be happy, you're just telling them, wake up every morning and do what you have to do to make yourself happy. And I tell my children, when you wake up every morning, figure out a way to make this world a better place. What are you going to do to make, to contribute to this world that it will be better? So for me, for myself, what is up to me? I just want to make this world better. And if, whether it's through my dentistry, whether it's me through my message, whether it's inspiration for another dentist or another person or another human being to just, if one little thing, if I can say one little thing or do one little thing, whether it's a patient, whether it's a friend, whether it's a family member, whether it's my children, if I could just help them do something a little bit better, then that's my legacy. Um, that's truly beautiful. It's simple and beautiful, I have to say, really. Thank it's you. inspiring as well. I, I think uh, this uh, entire call has been very inspiring. I really appreciate the time, Dr. Ebenheim. Uh, Thanks for the opportunity. I think, I think there is a, a lot to learn from you. And uh, definitely from the course, what you provide is truly, uh, as uh, you title it, the latest and the greatest. Uh, so all, to all the listeners out there, uh, I personally recommend, I'm not a clinician, but I promise you that uh, if you still want to learn, uh, there, there's the guy for you. Uh, you. Anything else you'd like to add before we wrap it up, Dr. Ebenheim? Um, really, just uh, for, for dentists, just do the right thing. Do the right thing. Remember that you have two letters in front of you, DR, doctor and act like one. Uh, be honest at what you do. Don't worry so much about the money all the time. Really worry on being the best that you can be and everything will fall into place. Be honest, treat your, treat your team members like you would want to be treated, treat your patients like you would want to be treated and do great dentistry or just don't do it at all. Um, and have passion, love what you do. Because if you don't love what you do, you just, you can't keep doing it. You're going to hate it. Love what you do, and like Steve Jobs said, surround yourself with people that love what they do. And surround yourself with people that can't do what you do, so that they can do it. And let them well fly. Said. Well said and well spoken. Thank you once more. We'll wrap it up to this. And until next time, everybody, thank you so much for joining us. And thank you once more, Dr. Herbenheim. I was Amit with the Alma Bone Cement. Goodbye, everybody. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.